For those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh Moran. I'm on staff with Chi Alpha. I am married. I am old. Uh, thank you. I have four small children, um, two of which had baseball games rained out tonight. Right? Um, Harrisonburg Little League does not officially keep track of standings. However, the Moran's whiteboard does. Okay, so I have all the teams listed and I've just, I just call different parents and whatever and keep up with the standings throughout the year for the minor league team. For the farm league team, it's a little bit harder. Uh, and so I just keep track of Judah's uh, scores. And so his team is currently three and one. Uh, but he told me to go ahead and erase the three because they're going to dominate the Yankees tomorrow. Um, <laughs> like, yes, that is my guy. So, anyways, all that to say. All that to say that we are in the middle of a series called Holy Spirit's Acts. We've been walking through the book of Acts. We've been walking on this journey with the Holy Spirit and journey with Jesus and journey with his people as the church has been being built. Okay, we've been walking through uh, these different passages. You've seen different symbols that have come up on the screen. And last week we took a look at one of the churches which Paul started. Um, Paul, we learned about it a few weeks ago, was someone who sometimes in the text he's called Saul, sometimes he's called Paul. He is transformed by an interaction he has with Jesus on the Damascus Road. And then he will become one of the greatest church planters to ever have lived. For most of us in the room, the only reason in which we can be here at JMU following Jesus is because Paul built a church in the middle of the first century. Right? It's wild. Like he becomes the, uh, what is called the apostle to the Gentiles. Gentiles meaning those of us who are not Jewish. And he builds the church among those who have not heard until his death in the middle, uh, towards the second half of the first century, presumably in Rome. Quit looking at me. Oh, sorry. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. That's great. But I have a question for you as we get started tonight. How many of you know that sometimes? Things are harder than they're supposed to be. How many of you know that sometimes life sucks? Right? Okay? Like, you're like, this is terrible. This is no good. Why is this happening? Okay? And then sometimes you're like, okay, okay, okay. I got myself into this mess, right? I did this to myself. But then other times in our lives, you're like, I did not get myself into this. I did everything right. And this thing still sucks. Why is this? I'm so glad you asked. Okay, I remember growing up, right? And it's like, okay, look, I am going to make the all-star team for baseball. Okay? Like, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to go out after the, 
So uh, I'm going to go out in the yard. I'm going to take a, a racquetball, and I'm going to throw it as hard as I can against the side of the wall, and I'm going to catch the racquetball. Okay, racquetballs bounce harder than baseballs, right? Baseballs don't really bounce off of brick walls. So a racquetball is even bouncier. It's going to come back even quicker. Okay, I'm going to throw it, and I would do it over and over and over again. Practicing, okay, the transfer, like getting in front of the ball, the movement, everything. And I would do everything right. Still never made the all-star team. Right? Okay, that's tough, right? Some of you can relate to that. You're like, no, I remember putting up all the extra shots in the gym and she still made varsity and I didn't. Faith's never been through that. <laughs> Some of you, it's your academics, right? You're like, I studied three times as long as the person that showed up hungover, and they got a better grade, and it's just not fair! Right? It's frustrating. But, you guys, you everybody okay? I'm pretty passionate about this message tonight. I don't know if you've been able to tell. I've got a quote from Dick Brogdon that is the title of the message and is going to be what we're going to journey through here. Sometimes you can do everything right and still get pounded. And to be honest with you, without this understanding, without this understanding of the gospel message, without this understanding of suffering, without this understanding of like continuing the fight, I don't know that I could continue following Jesus because sometimes it's just really hard. And so we're going to take a look at that in the life of Paul tonight in the second half of the book of Acts. Okay? So Acts is this journey of the church being formed as the Holy Spirit is building the church. The first half of Acts, we follow this guy called Peter, who some of you have heard of, right? He's one of the disciples. He's a disciple who denies Jesus, but then Jesus makes him breakfast, and for some reason they eat fish for breakfast, right? And I'm like, that's weird. We just have Cheerios. That's not true. We don't have Cheerios. We have something with a lot of sugar at our house, typically waffles and Nutella. Yeah. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Fold it in half. That's what we do. And so and just crush it. Uh, yesterday I put my feet in Nutella uh, because somebody, or no, it was Sunday. Sam was there. I uh, put feet in Nutella because some one of the kids, presumably, could have been someone else, uh, had had a bowl of Nutella underneath the table in the dining room. And uh, I guess they forgot or they had finished what they were eating it with and they just left it there. And I had my bare feet just right there right in the Nutella so it was a lot it was a lot so so Paul so after Peter Acts walks through with this guy named Paul okay we meet him in Acts chapter 8 uh, he's called Saul he's called Paul tonight in one of our passages he's going to be called Saul and then he goes on three missionary journeys to build the church and as he's going on these journeys, bad things happen. Actually, a lot of bad things. Like, like more bad things than you could imagine. And Paul's going to list them for us in our passage. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, right? 2 Corinthians is not in Acts, okay? One of my options tonight was to walk you through each of these individual passages, but... 
I know that you have finals coming up and you really don't want to sit here for all that. So instead, we're going to talk, look at Paul's summary of these difficult passages. And so if you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians. So right after Acts is Romans and then 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to start reading in verse 23. So Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, a church that he would start on one of his three missionary journeys. Um, and the church at Corinth has been having some difficulties. There have been some things that have going on in their lives, and they don't enjoy the suffering that is happening. They don't enjoy the frustrations that are happening. They don't enjoy these things that have happened because of the fall. They don't enjoy all of these things. They're like, Paul, what is going on? Why is this happening? We are good Christian people. Everything is supposed to have worked itself out by now. And Paul's like, well, let me tell you a story. And so Paul tells them a story here, and we will read it. Uh, at different points, I think I'll have uh, some of the Acts narratives on the screen as Paul reads them. Now, as we get into this list, some of you are reading ahead. Again, again. Uh, so, it, and like, what you need to realize is that this is just half of the list. Okay, because Paul t starts the church at Corinth like halfway through his story in Acts. And so like things are bad for him in the second half of Acts, the second half of the second half of Acts that he doesn't mention here in 2 Corinthians. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Okay, and let's read and see what is happening. I say we're going to start reading in verse 23, remembering that you can do everything right. And still get pounded. Paul's in the middle of missionary journeys. Paul's planting the church where it does not yet exist. Paul is like one of the most famous Christians ever. And let's see what happens to him. Starting in verse 23, he says, Are they servants of Christ? He says, I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more of a servant of Christ. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. He says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Notice the NIV does not say that he was stoned because... 420 get lit. <laughs> Instead, he was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in, uh, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? And if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father, the Lord Jesus, who is praised forever, knows that I am not <laughs> lying. I will continue trying. <laughs> All right, let's, let's walk through this just a little bit at a time. Okay, the first part, he says, I have worked much harder and been in prison more frequently. 
In Acts 16, 20 through 24, we heard about this passage earlier in the semester. Paul and Silas are in jail, um, and they pray. The Lord releases them. Um, and then he says, I have been flogged and beaten more severely and been exposed to death again and again. In Acts 14, verse 19, um, and so Paul goes and starts a church in Iconium, um, and then he and Barnabas had some success amongst the Jewish uh, population there. And then the part of the population that they did not have any success with is like really frustrated that they've had success building the church. And so they plan to kill him, right? But the good news is Paul hears about this. and He's like, hey, you know what? We're getting out of town. And so they leave town and they go over to Lystra and Derby. Okay, and then when they get to Lystra and Derby, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium chase them. And then get, everybody gets a rock and they throw it at him. And they leave him there as if he were dead. And the, the text says the disciples like pick him up and he goes and plants a church the next day. <laughs> this is wild stuff, right? Like you can only believe this stuff happened if you like start to read the Bible. Like you know what I mean? Like like I would encourage you, like as you go home this week, like as you get through finals, to just start reading the Acts text. And you'd be like, what? This is in the Bible? It is. I read it. Okay, then he says, uh, Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Okay, the Jews believed that if you were flogged 40 times with lashes, it would be enough to kill a man. So you know what they did? They're like, hey, we're going to do 40 minus one. And it says five times he got that. We see some of those in our text. He says, I have been in danger from rivers, bandits, fellow Jews, Gentiles, and in the city. And you see Acts 13.50, Acts 14.5, Acts 14.19, and Acts 16.19. He says he's been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now this list, again, not a comprehensive list of all the things that went wrong in Paul's life. Sometimes you can do everything right and still get Pounded. The mark of faithfulness in the Christian life is not that things are always going well for you. The mark of fruitfulness in the Christian life is not that things are always going well for you. The mark of faithfulness is not how well your small group is going, how many people are attending. The mark of faithfulness is not how good your grades are. The mark of faithfulness is not how much is in your bank account. The mark of faithfulness is in obedience. And that sometimes you can do everything right and it still won't go right. Paul mentions many times in our text here that he was in prison and jailed. I find this fascinating. Um, there's a whole genre of Paul's letters that are called the prison epistles. Um, because that's how often Paul went to jail. And when he would go to jail, what would he do when he was in jail? He would write letters to churches, and he would plant churches in the jail. Um, <laughs> and I think, like, like, in our world, like, jail is, like, something that we're like, nah, I'm not a part of that. I don't want to go to that. I'm trying to avoid that, right? But in some parts of the world, if you want to be a pastor, the only way you can be a pastor is if you go to jail. And not just like to go to jail, like you know what I mean? Like, but to go to jail for your faith. 
And then what do they expect you to do when you're in jail? Plant a church while you're in jail for planting the church. Because why not? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I just feel like, like these things are like so wild. And like me and like my stubbornness and like me and my frustration, like I would just be like, you know what, just forget it. Like forget the whole thing. Like I did everything right and I ended up in jail. But Paul's like, ah, I'll move on to the next city, see if I can go to jail there. Like, let's see what happens. Let's, let's go on the ride of a lifetime of following Jesus. An adventure is waiting around every single corner. And that doesn't mean that it's always going to be great. Some people would say, maybe you've heard this phrase, but the safest place that you can be is in the center of God's will. And I think that looks great on a pillow, on your couch, but I don't think it actually plays in the text. I don't think the goal of life is safety. I think the goal of the Christian life is obedience. The goal of the Christian life is faithfulness. The goal of the Christian life is like continuing to press on, continuing to believe that even when things go wrong, and maybe even especially when things go wrong, that we lean into the frustration. I think that sometimes in our lives, when, when we get ourselves off track is when we think about our inputs with Jesus solely in the sense of our outputs, right? God becomes a cosmic slot machine, I like to say. Like, okay, if I just like input enough daily devotions, then I will pass this midterm, right? I need to start throwing coins in, right? Or if I just pray uh, long enough on the way to the test, then like I will pass the test, right? And so you just keep putting and you just keep pulling the lever. Like eventually it's gotta come up, what is it, bells or sevens or cherries or whatever. Like eventually I have to win. And so we get caught up in, our, in the input that we have with Jesus, and it's solely about the output. And when I think about this, there's a story that comes to mind from my childhood. It would happen every single week in the summer, okay? Uh, because I grew up in, like, the backwoods, if you will. Um, I grew up a huge NASCAR fan, okay? Dale, yeah. So I have a picture of the Intimidator here. Uh, there he is. <laughs> It's a legend. Um, I've only seen my father cry twice in my life, and one of them was the day Dale Sr. died. Um, so my dad would go to like my dad would go to every NASCAR race like in the area. Okay, my parents had season tickets to Charlotte and Bristol and Martinsville and Dover. Uh, and then the other Bristol race, right? And so like they were just constantly at NASCAR tracks, okay? And here's the thing, when my dad would come home from a NASCAR race, he would always bring us back something, okay? You know what it was? It was always a car, like 1 64th of the actual size of a real car, car. It would be from one of the drivers, we would have told him like which one we were interested in or who we wanted to see or which paint scheme we were really excited about that week and then he would like try to find it amongst the trailers as he's like, traveling with all the hillbillies, right, throughout the NASCAR town, right? It's a wild place. I don't know if I recommend it or not. Um, and he would come home, and I had two younger brothers, 
And dad would get home, and sometimes we'd be asleep, and we'd see him the next day after he got off work, or sometimes like we'd be awake when he came home, and then it would be like this little dance. Okay, it's like, okay, we know dad got us something, but I'm the oldest, and so what does that mean? That means I'm not going to be the first one to ask him if he got us something, right? Because I don't want to be that guy, right? I'd rather my brothers take that fall. Like, I'm, I just love my dad, like, right? That's all. I, I don't care if he got me anything or not. But it's secretly inside. I'm like, please, somebody just ask him. And ultimately, it would always be Jonathan. Okay, so he's my middle brother. He texted me during the message, and so I'd be curious to see what that says. Uh, and Jonathan would say, hey, Dad, what'd you get us? And then Dad would get out the cars, and we'd get them out, and we would decide, like, hey, maybe this one's going to go on display. And so I have, like, I still have containers of unopened, die-cast cars that, why? Who knows? Like... Uh, and then other ones would go into um, the season-long race that we were having downstairs in the basement beside the wood stove. Okay, and so we had different tracks for different weeks. Okay, we kept score. We had a point system. It was all these things, and so it depended. It, it's, it was wild. Okay, now the question I have for you is: Was I more holy than my brothers, or was did I love my father more than my brothers? even though they asked first, and I wanted to ask, but I didn't actually do it. And I think that just because I didn't say it, it didn't make me any different than them. We had the same feelings, the same thoughts on the inside, and though I was trying to act like I was, I didn't really care, it didn't matter, I knew that it did. And the only reason that I wasn't asking, like, hey, did you get us something, was so that I could be seen as, like, the favorite son. Though I don't think that that was one of the metrics my father used for who his favorite son was. Well, he didn't ask me about the NASCAR car when I got back, so that's an extra gun for you in the will. Um, <laughs> That wasn't in the notes, so, uh, yeah, so. Um, and I think that oftentimes with my spirituality, I get this same way. I get so focused on God owing me something. I get so focused on like, it has to go this way. This has to be the way that it is because that's what I deserve. Let me tell you something, Chi Alpha. Whenever you get to the point where you're like, I deserve this, it might be a good time to take a look in the mirror and figure out what we actually do deserve. What the Lord deserves is obedience. Even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of great difficulty, He is worth following. Because sometimes you can do everything right and still get pounded and still have frustration and still feel pain. This is the upside down kingdom. Paul closes this passage in 2 Corinthians. He says in verse 32, In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall. 
<laughs> and slipped through his hands. We're going to read this story in more totality so you can flip back to Acts chapter 9. Starting in verse 23, just to prove that we're reading out of Acts here. You can see at the beginning of chapter 9, uh, my wife preached this passage a couple weeks ago. You see Saul's conversion. Um, and so, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And so then uh, he goes to Damascus and into Jerusalem. Um, so actually, we're gonna, we'll jump back to, uh, let's do verse 20. It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take us as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Now Paul has had so much success in proving to the Jews that, that Jesus is the Messiah that after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy amongst the Jews to kill him. Okay, the dude has like been a follower of Jesus for not very long. Okay, he has like just radically been transformed by the power of the Spirit. He has seen God. He has heard His voice. He has been blind. He's had scales sprung from his eyes. Like now, he gets up, he is baptized, and he builds the church, and then they decide they're going to kill him. It says, Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Can you imagine? This is a grown man. Right? They are chasing him to kill him. And they're like, okay, the best way for us to get you out of here is we've got a rope and we've got a basket. Jump in. <laughs> like, right? Like, this is wild. He's like, let's do it. And they lower him from the basket and he gets away. It says when he came to Jerusalem, okay, he's running for his life. He comes to Jerusalem and he tried to join the disciples but they were all afraid of him. Not believing that he really was a disciple. Okay, the dude just started the church in Arabia. It got so successful they decided they were going to kill him. A grown man gets in a basket and has other men lower him down outside the city wall. He runs to Jerusalem and is like, guys, help me. And they're like, nope. We don't, we are terrified of you. You cannot come with us. That would be wild. Like, that would be enough to like, like, if, if I, I'm just like, ah! Right? <laughs> like, I can just like feel Paul doing that. <laughs> Uh, but the good news is Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and how the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem speaking boldly the name of the Lord. He talked and debated in the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria into a time of peace. And then the text is going to continue and Paul is going to build the church and he's going to be put in jail. 
He's going to build the church. He's going to be flogged. He's going to build the church. He's going to get pelted with stones. He's going to wash, rinse, and repeat. And then it can, sometimes in my life, I'm like, man, if I don't get the parking spot, like Jesus doesn't love me. Right? Like you've been there, right? You have prayed like Jesus, like let there be an open spot at you wreck towards the steps. Towards the steps. Right? Towards the And then it's not there. And I'm like, why won't, why didn't he do that for me? Or it's like, okay, we used to do this. Um, we would walk to class, and we would have left late. We'd be like, Lord, stop time for us. We're not late for class. <laughs> right? You've been there, right? And then, you're like, and then you're like so frustrated when it doesn't happen. You're like, why didn't you do that for me? I read my Bible. I was reading my Bible, Jesus. That's why I was late. Maybe this, maybe this is just me that needs this. <laughs> like, you know, it, and it's like, man, I just did everything right. And I invited someone to small group and they still didn't come. Or I did everything right. Uh, I just found out I'm not going to get the internship this summer. Or I did everything right, and I just found out that they're impounding my car. And we just had this happen. Our car wasn't impounded, but I don't know. What was it? Seven weeks ago, eight weeks ago, that like the Suburban just done. Like we just need a brand new engine. And I'm like, but Jesus, like I... Do you see the work of the ministry happening here? God, I don't know if you've noticed, but Kyle was kind of popping off. So, um, uh, kind of, you could just, uh, you know, not have the engine be broken. That would be great. And so I, I, we dropped it off at the dealership, and no joke, I would just pray, like, Lord, just fix it yourself overnight. <laughs> like, you, like we, like, we have earned this, Lord. Like, look at these things. We can't afford this. And then I would not call the mechanic. So I'm like, I'm just going to wait. He's going to call me and tell me that the Lord Jesus Christ fixed my motor. <laughs> it didn't happen. Um, and so, but I felt myself, like, frustrated and feeling like I because of either what I was doing, because of what was going on, like I had earned this. And for what? Why? And I can tell you, it is a big, wide, nasty, hard world out there. Fallenness, brokenness, frustration. You have to get this message. That sometimes you can do everything right and still get pounded. Because when it does happen, you won't walk away from everything. You know what? Yeah, I did that Jesus stuff in college, but I just don't think it's for me anymore. 
I haven't gotten anything out of that in a while. Things didn't go so well for me in X, Y, or Z. I mean, when I read this, nothing really seemed to go very well for Paul constantly. Oh, chapter after chapter. Read these stories of this missionary, these missionary journeys. So in my mind, tonight's message is about there's a balance. This is one of the things that we teach in premarital counseling. Um, so you guys are all in premarital counseling right now. Congratulations. You're like, whoa, that's weird. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't give me a spouse. I'm walking away from this thing. Um, <laughs> like, why does he do that? <laughs> so um, here's the thing. Uh, when you have expectations that are up here and reality that is down here, everything in the middle is frustration. Okay? When you have expectations that are up here and reality that is down here, everything in the middle is frustration. Okay? When you expect that your roommate will every time they eat off of a plate clean it immediately. Okay? And then the reality is never that. Okay? All you'll have is frustration. And so what I'm trying to do with tonight's message is take your expectations and bring them down. But what I'm also trying to do with tonight's message is take your reality and bring it up. That yes, these things are going to be frustrating. Yes, the world is broken. Yes, there are things that are going to be so hard in your life. And some of you are going to face and are facing so many more hardships than I am currently facing and will ever face. But it is worth it. At no point in this journey was Paul like, you know what, forget it. He's like, let's go. Head first every single time. And that this is the adventure of a lifetime. This is what it can mean to follow Jesus, to follow him dynamically, to follow him substantially, to follow him devotionally. And that this will take you on a ride that you can only imagine. If you would lower your expectations for what faithfulness looks like, for what fruitfulness looks like, and raise your reality for how fun this ride with Jesus can actually be, as you go to new places to take the gospel, as you go to live new ways for the kingdom in this upside down world. So I don't believe that suffering and hardships are things that we're supposed to run away from. Sometimes they're the things that we're supposed to press into. And sometimes those moments in our life where it's like, I've been working so hard for this moment, and then all of a sudden I didn't get that. Sometimes a setback is actually a divine setup. And you won't see it till you look back in the rearview mirror. Some of you, you look back at your time and you're wondering, how in the world did I get to JMU? Why did I even come here? Why did I apply here? Why did I accept here? How did I get here? And you look back now and you see the sovereignty of God. Though you didn't see it then. I would encourage you to have times where you look back on your life and see how the Lord was with you, though you may not have felt it. Like last week in the message, as the as like the 
the vision that Paul got for the Macedonian man. And as he then goes on the journey, and then, spoiler alert, he doesn't actually find a Macedonian man. Um, and that sometimes what, what we expect is not our reality. And as we bring those two together, we will have less and less frustration. We will have more and more faithfulness and more and more obedience. Now, I love following Jesus. I really, like, dynamically do. I can't imagine <coughs> life without him. But I can love him better and more fully because I expect that hard things are going to happen. The world is broken. That there is frustration and futility. And I'm not callous to hard things. I still mourn. I still weep. I still cry out. But they don't shake me the way that they used to as I've grown deeper into His presence. So I would encourage you as we like get ready to go into a final season, it's a good time to put this into practice um, where it will be hard. And you're going to feel, what does it Paul say, tired and frustrated. And if the weather stays up this way, cold, you will get to lean in to the renewing presence of Jesus, knowing that this is not the end of the story. The end of the story is that he is the great victor. At the end of all things, the battle will be won, the battle is won, that Christ will triumph over evil, there will be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. And that is the day we long for. That is the day we hope for. And that sometimes we don't have it right now, but we know that it is coming, so we press forward towards the goal. Letting go of what is behind and striving towards what is ahead. The band's going to come up, and we're going to sing It Is Well again to close. Now, It Is Well is, some of you, um, when we began to sing it, you're like, wait, this sounds familiar. Um, it was a hymn, as we sang it tonight. I don't know if it's Bethel or Hillsong. Uh, who could say? Um, but uh, the hymn was originally written by a guy named... Horatio Spafford, um, and he wrote it out of a time of great pain in his life. And I find this to be one of the more beautiful hymns that we have, um, but I think the story behind it makes it even all the more powerful for us and all the more powerful um, as his people. So you can go ahead and stand up as I tell you this story. Uh, so Horatio was a very um, well-to-do lawyer in Chicago. He had been successful in his law firm and had taken that success and invested in a lot of real estate throughout Chicago in the late 18, early 1870s. Now, well then in 1871 there was what is called the Great Chicago Fire which he lost all of his fortune. Well, that was not the hardest thing that happened to him in the early 1870s. He also lost his four-year-old son. 1873 comes and he has begun to 
try to get his life back on track. And D.L. Moody is having a revival in Europe. And he decides, hey, my wife, our four daughters, we're going to go and be a part of this revival. We're going to pack everything up and we're going to go over. But he had some business to take care of back home, and so he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead. And the ship sank. His four daughters did not survive. His wife did. And he gets on the ship later and goes across the sea. And when he passes by the place where his daughters drown, he wrote this hymn. That it is well with my soul. And when storms rage around me, it is well with my soul. So look, Kafa, I don't know what's going on in each of your individual lives. I don't know all of your individual stories. But I know that there are a lot of storms that are happening right now and that will happen in your life. Hold tight to Jesus. Hold tight to the community of God so that you may say and believe that it is well with your soul. So as the band plays, as they sing, I'm going to encourage you to respond in song. But I'm also going to encourage you to respond as the community of God. If you know there's someone in your life, in your house, in your core group that needs prayer, go and pray for them. If you know that you need prayer for something in your life, grab who you came with. Grab a small group leader and pray with them so that we may declare that it is well with our souls, no matter.